Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 18 Jennifer stared at her father in his ugly, beat-up Chevy. She knew she should be afraid, but it took her a half-second longer than it should have to wipe that stupid grin off her face, to forget her elation over the absolutely perfect night with Darren. It wasn't until she heard her father's voice that she understood how much trouble she was in. I've been looking all over for you. Dad sounded eerily calm. She would have felt far more comfortable if he'd been yelling at her. Get in the truck, he growled. Jennifer hesitated a moment too long. In an instant, her father reached his hand out the window and yanked her by the arm. She hit her head on the side of the door, the dull metallic thump giving way to a high-pitched ringing in her ears. Did you go deaf all of a sudden? Dad growled, his fingernails digging into her flesh. Get in the truck. Jennifer heard a noise from the front porch. She glanced over to see Shauna and Kylie standing in front of the house, gaping at her. She scurried over to the passenger side, her head swirling with pain and dizziness. Her father let out his breath, and Jennifer saw his worried expression, his aged face. Dad, I'm really... I don't want to hear a word out of you, he snapped. Not a word, do you understand me? For years, I've done my best to feed you, to clothe you, to keep you safe. Well, how am I supposed to do that when you're sneaking out at all hours of the night, huh? No, I really want you to tell me. How am I supposed to keep you safe? Jennifer bit her lower lip, uncertain if her dad wanted an actual answer or not. The corner of her mouth where Darren had given her that kiss still burned hot. For a second... She worried her dad would look over at her and know everything, everything she and Darren talked about, everything they did. She thought about Darren's hand holding hers, about how earnestly he'd looked at her. Nobody had treated her as kindly and lovingly as Darren had tonight. Her father certainly had never been so warm and attentive. If Mom were still alive, she'd understand— Jennifer could tell her about Darren, ask her questions. Mom would know what you're supposed to say to a boy when you're done with a slow dance. She'd know if you could call a peck that wasn't even quite on the lips, a real kiss, or just practice. Jennifer crossed her arms. It wasn't fair. If anybody should have died, it should have been Dad. The euphoria she felt just a few minutes earlier the confusion and giddy embarrassment that bubbled to the surface when she thought about Darren, the grief that came crashing over her unexpectedly when she remembered Mom. It was impossible to give a name to each and every emotion swirling around chaotically in her soul. Dad was gripping the steering wheel and muttering something under his breath. "'What did you just say?' Jennifer snapped. 
her anger now rising to the surface of every other conflicting emotion. I said if your mother could see you now, she'd be rolling around in her grave. Jennifer's fists started flying. How dare you, she shouted, punching, scratching, pummeling. I hate you, hate you, hate you, hate you. Dad jerked the Chevy to a standstill at the bus stop near the school. He turned to her, the tired expression on his face replaced with a look of disgust and rage. Get out, he snarled, putting the truck into park. Jennifer stared for a second, trying to catch her breath, trying to replay what had just happened. Had she really punched her own father? He knew she didn't mean it, right? She didn't really hate him. Dad, I'm sorry. Don't give me that. His face was contorted in anger, but his tone was bone-chillingly controlled. Get out of the truck. Jennifer hesitated. I really didn't mean... Dad reached across her and flung open the passenger side door. Get out of the truck, he repeated with a curse. Jennifer was crying now, not tears of anger, but of fear. She raised her eyes to her father, who glowered at her unblinkingly. What are you going to do to me? she asked. Dad adjusted his belt. I'm going to teach you some manners, young lady and you better pray you catch on, because one wrong move, and I swear I'll make you regret it for the rest of your life. Chapter 19 I'm shaking by the time we get off the plane, shaking to the point where my husband has to support me while I walk. Are you going to be all right? One of the gate attendants asks. She's not feeling well, Russell answers for me. I think we need to get her home. The worker tells Russell something about our bags. The kids are squirrely around me. Andrew's demanding to know what's happening, and poor little Annie is confused and thinks we've already landed in Michigan. Where are Grandma and Grandpa? she asks. I can't focus on any of this. Can't pay attention to the conversations, the noise. I think about the man in the Hawaiian shirt, about how much he reminded me of Henry. I think about the day I escaped, the same day I discovered what happened to his daughter. I think about Russell, about all the things I should have told him before we got married. I was stupid to think that faith and love alone could erase the memories from my past. Just like I was stupid to think I could replace the picture-perfect wife he lost. We're both broken, Russell and I but in such different ways. The shattered pieces of our lives, in theory, might fit together to make something beautiful. But right now we are destroying each other with our lies, our trauma, our grief. I didn't mean to say it. I should have known better after two years in Henry's basement, but he was so pathetic, sitting there crying, blubbering. You're lying, I tell him. I haven't spoken back to him like this since my first few weeks as his prisoner, posing as his daughter, wearing her clothes. I've lost weight, haven't seen the sun in two years. My muscles are weak, but the hatred I feel for him at this exact minute makes me strong and empowered. 
This sniveling old man is nothing to be afraid of. He can't hurt me, can't touch me. Because I know his secret. I've figured it out. When I look back, I'm pretty sure I've always known, but haven't wanted to accept the truth until now. At this precise moment, everything Henry and I have gone through together has led to here, like destiny. I know what you did to her, I say, my voice calm and even. His eyes grow wide. He probably forgot I was still a human with the capacity to speak my own mind. You got mad at her for sneaking out. You got mad because she hated you, because she knew you were nothing but a pathetic old man. And you killed her. You knew she was growing up. She liked going to parties now. She was interested in boys. You couldn't keep her home no matter how hard you tried. And you were terrified of losing her, terrified that she'd wake up one day and realize what a coward you truly are. You saw it happening, saw the end coming. So you killed her. Because you're sick and twisted and pathetic, you killed her, and you managed to keep enough evidence away from the police that they couldn't actually arrest you or anything. You got away with it, but the guilt's been eating you up inside for years. That's why you've made me pretend to be her, why you've made me say I forgive you. Well, you know something? I don't forgive you. I hate you. I think you're weak, pathetic. I can't stand another minute in this house with you. And guess what else? I'm not your daughter. I'm not Jennifer. But if she were here, she wouldn't forgive you either. And she'd be saying the exact same things I am. You're weak. You're nothing. You're a terrible father. And you're totally crazy. You killed her, killed your own flesh and blood. And now the guilt's making you even more miserable and pathetic than ever. Once the words started pouring out of my mouth, I'm certain that nothing can stop them. You say you love her, that you're sorry for what you did to her, but you know what? I don't believe you. I know you meant to kill her. I know what a horrible person you are. You're sick in the brain. She wanted to get away from you. You know that, don't you? And the only way to keep her from despising you was to kill her before she learned how wretched you really are. What a miserable old man. And then I stop. Because Henry's face isn't just contorted in anguish. There's something else there. Stop, he gasps. Help. I want to keep yelling, telling him that I've finally discovered his secret. I finally know what kind of contemptible human being he truly is. But I can't. Henry's face is frozen, as if carved in stone. He clutches at the collar of his shirt. Stop, he wheezes, sweats dripping down his temples. My heart quits beating at the sound of his voice. I see his chest make a choppy motion. I don't know what this is. I don't know what's happening. I jump off the couch and grab a flashlight to see better in the dark. Henry's lips are turning blue and I realize I'm killing him, literally killing him. I reach out for his hand. What do you need me to do? I ask. How can I help? I didn't mean to hurt him. Didn't mean to cause him actual physical harm. I just needed to get some things off my chest. His chest. 
I place my hand over his heart, feel how erratically it's racing. What should I do? I ask. Henry's face is ashen gray. Help me, he croaks once more. I race up the stairs. I try to race up the stairs, is what I should say, but my legs are weak. By the time I'm at the top, I realize I'm about to step into a world I haven't seen in years. I look back down. Is Henry going to stop me? Is he going to yell at me to get back down? He's bent over himself. I can hear the labored breathing from here. Does he even know I'm at the top of the staircase? I throw open the door, steal myself for whatever terrors await me on the other side. Monsters, guard dogs, soldiers ordered to shoot me on sight. Instead, nothing but blinding daylight streaming in from the windows. I can't see anything. Pain pierces to the back of my skull. I have to help Henry. I stumble into a messy room, a den or a living room of sorts, with trash and molding food strewn everywhere. Is there a phone I can use? I trip over a takeout box. My hands dart in front of me to break my fall. I scrape my forearm on something. I don't care. Henry is downstairs dying, and it's all my fault. I shouldn't have let my anger take hold of me that way. I should have been more compassionate. Why doesn't this man have a stupid phone? I'm looking everywhere. To my left is a front door with three separate deadbolts protecting me from the outside world. I could run outside, yell for help. I glance out a grimy window. All I see is a looming fence surrounding the house, but beyond that must be something. Can I get help for Henry fast enough? I've overturned a small table. A shoebox full of photographs has spilled onto the floor at my feet. I pick up one of the pictures. It's of me. There are dozens of them, all close-up, photographs of me when I'm sleeping. My skin is pale. I almost look like I'm dead. My hands are trembling. I don't have time to stop and stare, but I do, because there's something wrong about the pictures. Something I didn't notice at first. I don't own a shirt like that, and the sleeping head I'm staring at is resting on a pillow, a real pillow with a real pillowcase, not the hard couch cushion Henry's given me. Even more surprising, the sleeping girl in the photograph is in a real bed. And then I realize I'm not looking at pictures of myself at all. It's Henry's dead daughter. I drop the images, my heart speeding wildly. I tell myself I'm running outside to get help. It's the only way I can justify leaving Henry here like this. I hate him, despise him, fear him. But the thought of him down there all alone, feeling so remorseful, I can't make myself leave unless I lie. I tell myself I'll run and get him help. I tell myself I'll race down the road, find the nearest house, or wave down the nearest car and call 911 to get them to send Henry an ambulance. It's the only thing that allows me to unlock the deadbolts. They're heavier than I expected, as if they've rusted in place. Hurry, I tell myself. Henry could die any second. Except that's not why I'm hurrying. Not really. I know that once I leave this house, I'm going home. 
and nothing's going to stop me. The last bolt finally slides out of place. The sun hits my skin for the first time since my capture. I don't have time to pause and wonder. My only thought is to get away. Do I go right or left? I don't know. All I know is that I need to put one foot in front of the other. I force myself to be strong, to resist the urge to turn back. I can't do it. Can't leave him here like this. I think I hear him call my name. Jennifer. Then I think about the pictures I saw. I think about Henry's dead daughter, about how he's kept me prisoner in his basement. I remember the vaguest notion of a mother and father who loved me once upon a time, and I realize I want to see them again. I desperately want to see them again. I know they're out there, and I know I don't belong trapped in a basement for the rest of my life. I have no idea how long I've been walking. It feels like a lifetime. The houses are set back in the woods. All I see are driveways. One road turns to another. I can't keep the direction straight. I might be walking in circles for all I can tell. I think it must have been an hour, maybe more. Maybe whole days have passed since I ran away from Henry, since I abandoned him alone in that basement to die. The shadows are long, the evening chilly, when I spot a woman walking her dog. My eyes want to spill over with tears. How long has it been since I've seen another human being, seen an animal of any kind? My legs threaten to collapse beneath me the moment she comes into view. I wave my arms. She raises her hand, but then stops. Help, I call out certain now that my legs can't carry me another step. She jogs toward me. I don't know if it's my stress or my fear or my physical weakness, but I'm only half-conscious when her dog comes up, sniffs me once curiously, then licks my face with a warm tongue. His kiss makes me start to sob. The woman kneels down. I can't understand the questions she's asking me, but I hear the worry in her voice. I need help, I tell her. What's your name? she asks. I nearly answer Jennifer before I remember. That's not me anymore. It never was me. My name is Anastasia, I answer. Anastasia Reynolds. I want to go home. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Skies series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Skies series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.